Good morning, church. Would you please remain standing and open up your Bibles to John chapter 10. This morning, we've been continuing our series through the series, the seven I am statements of Jesus. And this morning, we have the statement, I am the door. So we John chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters the door, or who enters by the door, is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for who you are, for the opportunity to worship you. Lord, we pray for this service. Pray for now as we dig into your word, as we consider these words of Jesus on this page here. Lord, would you show us who you are, enamor us with your beauty. Help me to get out of the way and let your word speak, your spirit speak to, to this congregation today. Be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, church. So this morning as I was driving here, it was raining, and I was wondering if that was a sign of God's judgment on me and on this sermon. And then I got here and said that to somebody, and they said, you know, sometimes rain is a blessing, and the lack of rain is the judgment. And now it's not raining, and so I don't know what to think. <laughs> Regardless, though, it's a joy to be worshiping with you. It's a joy to be in the Word of God with you, learning about Jesus, learning about what that means for us. And so far, as we've been going through this series about the seven I Am statements of Jesus, we've done two sermons. The first one was Leo in John chapter 6, talking about Jesus being the bread of life. And then last week, Andrew preached out of John 8 about Jesus being the light of the world. Now, if you look at our little graphic on the screen, you see the seven statements and the seven pictures that go along with them. I have the opportunity to speak on Jesus being the door. But in reality, as I was studying this passage and as I was talking to Pastor Leo about it, this passage deals a lot with Jesus being the shepherd as well. So mine and Leo's sermons are really going to go hand in hand, more like a part one and a part two. This week I have verses one through ten, and then Leo will finish off with eleven through eighteen. The passage I have this morning in the first section touches up on Jesus as the shepherd, and we'll, we'll get into that, we'll see a little bit of it, but ultimately... Leo will expand on that next week and really focus in on Jesus as the shepherd. But this passage that we're looking at today, verses 1 through 10, can really be broken up into two portions. 
In both of them, Jesus is using pretty much the exact same language. He's talking about sheep and shepherds and doors and a sheepfold and thieves and robbers. But he kind of makes two different metaphors with, these, with, with his language here. There's a dividing line that splits the two sections, the two metaphors. And that dividing line is verse 6, where John tells us that this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. And he says, so Jesus said. And so we have section 1, verses 1 through 5, where Jesus makes one metaphor, one statement. And then chapter, or verse 6, where it kind of divides it, and Jesus goes into verse 7 through 10, where he's making similar language, similar metaphor, but a little bit of a different meaning. And so we begin with our first section, verses 1 through 5. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Now the difficulty in preaching what is called a topical or a thematic message is that often it's very easy to lose sight of the overall theme or the overall context of a passage. We get narrow-sighted, we get tunnel vision, we have a certain topic we want to address and we ignore the context. So when we just plop ourselves down in John chapter 10 and see these words of Jesus, we kind of forget that John didn't add these chapter breaks or these verse breaks. We see that big old chapter 10, verse 1, and we think, all right, this is something new, this is a new statement, a new timeline, boom, Jesus is saying something else. We need to remember the context. John didn't add that there. He doesn't see a break between chapter 9 and chapter 10. It seems to be the same conversation that's going on. We must always remember what's coming before a passage we're reading and what comes after. And last week, Andrew touched up a little bit on chapter 9, right? He, tre- he preached out of chapter 8 on Jesus being the light of the world, but towards the end, he mentioned the story in, in John chapter 9. And I want to remind you of that setting. I'm not going to get too much into detail of that chapter of chapter 9, because we'll get into that a little bit later again. But there's this remarkable story in John chapter 9. Jesus heals a man who was born blind from birth. This man was born blind, and Jesus heals him. But more than that, he doesn't just physically heal him. Through the course of the chapter, we see that this man is spiritually healed from blindness as well. In the beginning of the chapter, we see this blind man who gets healed, and people are asking him about it. He says, this man called Jesus. He just says, this man called Jesus. The man called Jesus did this. But by the end of the chapter, we read his words where he says, Lord, I believe. And John says he worshiped him. By the end of this chapter, this man is not only physically healed from blindness, but spiritually as well. He knows and sees who Jesus really is, and he worships him. But on the contrary, we see the very opposite happening with the Pharisees. They witness this miracle, this amazing thing that happens to a man born blind. Instead, their hearts are hardened. They hear him out, but then they say No. They cast them away. They push them out of the synagogue and ultimately out of the fellowship of their community. So the chapter ends with these Pharisees questioning Jesus about the situation. A dialogue ensues between them, and Jesus basically tells them that they claim to see, they think they know, 
but in reality they are guilty and they remain blind. And John doesn't give us any indication that there's a break between that conversation and the one that Jesus goes into now. He says these things to the Pharisees about their blindness and he goes straight into this first verse of John chapter 10 where he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Jesus goes from talking about spiritual sight and blindness and goes in on this picture of a sheepfold. It almost seems kind of strange and out of place. But it's important for us to think about this picture that Jesus paints and why he's using it. Everybody listening to Jesus would have been very familiar with what he's describing. They knew what a sheepfold was. For us, it's a little different. We don't think about shepherds and sheep the same way. But this was everyday life for them. They knew exactly what a sheepfold was. Every village would have at least one. And the shepherd, who would have his sheep out during the day grazing, would lead them back in, into the sheepfold for the night. It would be enclosed on all sides, walled in with one entrance only, a door that is guarded by a watchman or a gatekeeper. And there would be multiple family sheeps in here. It wouldn't be just belonging to one person. It would be the village sheepfold. <clears throat> but there would be one person who would sit there and stand guard. Now Jesus says that the one who doesn't enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, is a thief and a robber. Jesus says there's a specific entrance. Like I said, it's enclosed in all ways, only one way in and out, and that was guarded by a gatekeeper. And when Jesus says that those who climb in another way and sneak in are thieves and robbers, he's hardly saying anything profound. They get it. They know exactly what he's talking about. Yeah, it's illegal to break into something and steal. They know. It's not blowing anybody's mind. But remember, Jesus is describing a metaphor. He's not simply talking about a sheepfold and sheep and shepherds and robbers and thieves just to talk about sheep, shepherds, robbers, and thieves, right? It seems to be a continuation of that discussion that we were having in chapter 8 and chapter 9. It's all one continuous stretch. In chapter 8, we see Jesus revealing himself as the great I am, as God. And the Jews hate it. The religious leaders hate him for it. They seek to stone him. And he tells them that they are of their father, the devil, and that they do not hear the words of God because they are not of God. He tells them they are deaf. And so they attempt to stone him, but he slips out. He escapes the temple. And then on the way, he meets this blind man that we were talking about earlier. He miraculously heals him, and more than that, utterly and completely saves this man. And that's how chapter 9 plays out. This big drama between this blind, this blind man who was healed and these Pharisees questioning him, and they're butting heads, asking one another, who could Jesus be? They go back and forth. Finally, the Pharisees give up. They cast this man out, and Jesus comes and finds him, reveals himself to him as God, and this man believes and so the chapter ends with these verses, Jesus saying, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who hear may become blind. And then John tells us, Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? And Jesus had said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt, but now that you say we see, your guilt remains. He goes straight from that statement, saying your guilt remains, and straight into that truly, truly, 
if anyone doesn't enter by the door, but climbs in another way. And when Jesus is saying this, he undoubtedly has these, these Pharisees in mind as he starts this metaphor. This isn't just happening in a vacuum. He knows what he's doing. He's know, he knows who he's talking to. And so Jesus says there are those who try to climb into the sheepfold and steal and hurt, and Jesus is referring to these very Pharisees who were listening to him. The gospel accounts are full of stories of Jesus calling out the Pharisees for their abuse of power, their abuse of authority, how they would rob the Jewish people for selfish gain and hurt, and they would hurt them with the weight of tradition and laws that they themselves wouldn't even practice or keep. They were fake shepherds, fake leaders, who would belittle and fleece the sheep. They were robbers and thieves. This is evident in that chapter 9 story in that moment where the blind man is talking to the Pharisees and he's telling them this man must be of God. There's no way he isn't. He says, if this man were not of God, he could do nothing. Look at the fruit. Look at my testimony. Look what Jesus did. He must be of God. And how do the Pharisees respond? They say, you were born in utter sin. And would you teach us? They belittle him mock him, discount his testimony, and then they cast him out. These Pharisees of Jesus' day were robbers and thieves. But before we go on with the rest of the metaphor, it's important for us to stop and consider how this applies to us today. Who are the robbers and thieves that try to infiltrate the church and even our lives and attempt to steal and hurt? We, the people of God, belong to the one true shepherd, and his name is Jesus. Yet there are many who try to sneak in another way. They try to usurp his authority, his place in our lives, and they try to draw our attention from him. Maybe it's some religious leader claiming to be Christian or not, whatever kind of religion you could think of. They promise us our best life now. They promise us happiness, prosperity, they promise us peace and a life full of best blessing. Just a good life on earth if you do these things. And often they promise us a better us. So we could feel good about ourselves. We could be happy with the life we have. Or maybe it's some secular intellect. Some intellectual of the world who promises freedom and fulfillment. Promises knowledge, wisdom and affluence. Money. Just happiness in general. They promise us satisfaction. And too, with all of that, they are too promising us a better us, a better life for us. Yet Jesus says they aren't the shepherd. They are robbers and thieves. And so Jesus continues and he says, But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And so Jesus contrasts these robbers and thieves who enter in a different way with the true shepherd, the person with authority to enter into that sheepfold. Like I said earlier, this sheepfold would be enclosed on every side except for one door that was guarded. And that gatekeeper, that watchman, will only allow the shepherd in to get his sheep. No one else. 
So Jesus says this gatekeeper recognizes the authority of this shepherd and he opens to him. And then Jesus said that this shepherd, the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep will follow him for they know his voice. And so like I said, these sheepfolds belong to multiple families, to multiple people. There would be sheep that belong to, let's say, me, Travis, Chris, Uncle Craig. All of our sheep would be in this one sheepfold. And at night, they're intermixed. It's kind of hard to tell at first glance which ones belong to who. And so when the, when the shepherd would come, he would have a uh, distinct and specific call for his own sheep that his sheep would recognize. My call would be different than, than Travis's or Uncle Craig's or Chris's. All of the calls would be different, and the sheep would recognize this call and know this call. So the shepherd would come in. The gatekeeper would open up to him. He'd make the call. His sheep would come gather around him, not anybody else's, just his, and he'd lead them out. But Jesus says that this shepherd has more than just a call. He goes up and beyond. He enters into the sheepfold and he calls his own sheep by name. Consider that intimacy. These aren't just his pets, just his animals. He knows his sheep by name. He knows them so intimately and so well that he calls each and every one of them out and they hear him, they know his voice, and they follow him. And church, Jesus is this shepherd. He comes into the sheepfold and he calls his church to follow him. But he doesn't just call us as a group of people. He doesn't say, all of you, come follow me. But to each and every one of us individually, he calls us. He says, David, come follow me. Angela, come follow me. Juliet, come follow me. He says, to each and every one of us specifically, he intimately knows us by name and he calls us to follow him. He knows our names, our lives, the things we're going through, our everyday struggles, the highs, the lows. He knows us through and through, and he calls us by name and says, come follow me. And then speaking of his sheep, speaking of us, Jesus says, they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. And so that begs the question for each and every one of us who claim to be, belong to the sheep of Jesus, to his flock. Do I know Jesus' voice? Do I follow him? There are many strangers who are liars and robbers and thieves who beg for our attention, grasp for our focus day after day, do we flee from them? Do we see and recognize that they are not our shepherd? That is not the voice of our shepherd. Do we flee from them because we know right away they don't have the voice of our beloved shepherd, Jesus? And so at this point, John comes to that dividing line in this passage. Verse 6 where he says that this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. And if we just look at the words of Jesus and not take the spiritual implications, the spiritual meanings out of it, all we hear is a story about some sheep, some shepherds, 
and some robbers and thieves who try to enter in, but, but the, the sheep only listen to the voice of their shepherd. And that's hardly anything that they didn't know about. They knew the picture that Jesus was describing. It was a part of everyday life. And John says they were blind and oblivious to the real meaning that Jesus had there, the real things he was telling them about who he is as the shepherd, about who those robbers and thieves are, and the sheep that recognize the false from the real. And so with that, we come to the the end of our first section, where Jesus has talked about himself as the shepherd here, and Leah will continue on with that next week. And then we have our dividing line, that verse 6, where John says they didn't get it. And now we go into our second section. Similar language, similar metaphor, just a little bit different meaning in verses 7 through 10. We read, So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he'll be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. In that first section, Jesus was contrasting himself as the real shepherd who enters by the door with those thieves and robbers who enter in by climbing over the wall. And here he's contrasting himself as the door that saves and those thieves and robbers who are false messiahs and fake leaders who the sheep recognizes the false. Jesus says, I am the door of the sheep. Like I said earlier, that sheepfold that we described only had one door, closed in on every side, one way in, one way out. Every day the sheep would walk through that door to go out to find that good grass, get on that pasture, enjoy their life, and then the shepherd would lead them back in to the sheep, to the sheepfold for protection in the night, for safety behind that door. And Jesus says, I am that door by which these sheep go in and out. Jesus also said that there are those who came before him. And he again calls them thieves and robbers. False messiahs that came to God's people, to Jesus' sheep. They claim to be their savior. They claim to be their hope. They claim to be that Messiah that the Old Testament promised. Sometimes they would gather a following. They would attempt some kind of political revolution, attain power, establish God's kingdom on earth. But in the end, all they brought for the Jews was failure, hardship, war, pain, and suffering. Jesus says those men were just thieves and robbers. And in verse 10, Jesus says that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Regardless of the promises and false assurances that those thieves and robbers gave, regardless of what they were offering, they're often enticing. They often promise good things that we want. But in reality, they just come to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus says that his sheep do not listen to them, that his sheep recognize and know the real from the fake. And now Jesus himself reveals the real. He 
tells them who he is. He displays the real salvation, the real door. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. And he ends our passage this morning saying, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus is the door of the sheep. And if anyone enters by him, they will be saved. What an incredible promise comes with that. This door is the only way into Jesus' flock. There's no other way by which we can be saved. Only by him. Only by his saving work on the cross. John Bunyan depicts this very thing in his book, The Pilgrim's Progress. There's a moment where, where the main character, Christian, is walking along the narrow path on his way to the celestial city. And along the way, there's a wall, and he sees two characters just tumble over the wall, climbing in. And he starts questioning them, who they are, why they got in that way. Their names are formalist and hypocrisy. And he asks them, why did why'd you come over the wall? Why didn't you go to the front gate, to the main door? Why didn't you enter over there? And they tell him there's no difference. They say this way is actually easier. It's a bit of a shortcut. People recommended us taking this way. They say to Christian, what matter is it which way we get in? If we are in, we are in. And many often make this mistake. We assume that we could trick our way into heaven, that fake it till you make it mentality, that we could some way over the wall crawl in and become part of God's flock, part of God's people. that it doesn't matter how I enter, just as long as I do enter. If I'm in, I'm in, right? If I look like a Christian, if I'm with them, I'm good, right? But this isn't true. The only way in is that main gate, that door. That door is Jesus. And if we practice a Christianity that negates the door, that tries to avoid the door, that tries to lead people in through a different way, or it fails to lead people to that door, then it's no Christianity at all. And in the end, all it leads to death, pain, destruction, and not to the celestial city, not to eternity with Jesus, not to salvation. And this is what Peter states before the Council of Elders in Acts 4. He says, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven, given among men, which by, or by which we must be saved. Church, Jesus is this door, and Jesus saves. There is no other door and no other salvation. Amen. And if you're an unbeliever here this morning, consider the incredible promise here, what Jesus is saying. He says, if anyone enters by me, the condition isn't who you are. He didn't say, if these kind of people enter by me, or these kind of people enter by me. He says, if anyone enters by me, the condition is that you enter by him and not by any other means. If anyone enters by me, you could be the worst person on the planet. You could have, you could have committed numerous and grievous sins, yet if you enter by Jesus, you will be saved. 
regardless of class, background, who you are, what you've done, where you've been, if you repent of your sins and believe in Jesus Christ, the door, the one who bore our sins, and more than that, bore the wrath of God on his body, on the tree, for those sins. If you believe in him, if you enter by him, you will be saved. And that is the promise that Jesus gives here. You will be his sheep, and he will be your shepherd. To follow any other savior, any other leader, any other false hope or promise only leads to death, but to follow Jesus is to have life and life abundantly. In one of the commentaries I was reading while prepping this message, I read an incredibly profound quote by D.A. Carson. When he's talking about verse 10 here and, and those who lead to, to those who steal and kill and destroy versus Jesus who gives life and life abundantly, talking about verse 10, Carson writes, the world still seeks its humanistic political saviors. It seeks its own messiahs, those men on earth who, who promise hope, salvation, joy of some kind. He says, it's, the world still seeks its humanistic political saviors. It's Hitler's, it's Stalin's, it's Mao's, it's Pol Pot's. And only too late does it learn that they blatantly confiscate personal property. They come only to steal. Ruthlessly trample human life underfoot. They come only to kill. And contemptuously savage all that is valuable. They come only to destroy. And he says, Jesus is right. It is not the Christian doctrine of heaven that is the myth, but the humanist dream of utopia. And what he means by that is that all those thieves and robbers, they still exist today. He mentions political ones, but they exist in the spiritual sense too. Religious leaders that still exist today that promise some humanist dream of utopia, perfect life on earth. They didn't disappear when Jesus arrived. When Jesus displayed himself as the true door, as the shepherd, as the son of God, as the way to salvation, they didn't go away. They continue on and on and on and entice us and beg for our attention. Both political and spiritual thieves and robbers are promising a better future, a better life here on earth. But in the end, they only bring loss, death, and destruction. No politician, no celebrity, no philosophy, and no religious leader can grant you your best life now. They can't do it. They can't grant us that utopia that we all seem to desire, the next best thing that will just make life easier and better. They're just thieves and robbers. And we, as the sheep of Jesus, we must not be interested in those voices, in those strangers. We hear them all the time, begging for our attention, asking us to leave the flock of Jesus and go follow them. But we as the sheep must recognize the voice of those strangers, of those false hopes. We must flee them and run to our shepherd. We must run to the door that saves and grants life. We must run to our Savior. And the image that Jesus gives of these sheep he says, I am the door, and if anyone enters by me, they will be saved. But he doesn't end it there. 
He doesn't just say that he's salvation, but he is that door by which those sheep go out and enjoy pasture. They're led out and they go find that good grass and they eat their plenty. He describes sheep that are saved, but in the night they are safe and protected. They are sheep that find good pasture. They are healthy and fat and happy and they get to experience God's blessing and provision because that's what Jesus brings. And so it is with the Christian. In Jesus, we find salvation and protection. We find our safety. In Him, we get to enjoy the pleasures of life, that pasture, on earth in a way that unbelievers do not. And this doesn't mean that life is going to be perfect, that there will be no hardship, that things are going to be perfect and great all the time, that we're just going to be prosperous and happy. That's not true. Those thieves and robbers still exist. There will still be hardship. There will still be the enemy attacking and trying to make us turn from Jesus. But in Jesus, we have life and we have it abundantly. And that life will never end. That regardless of what goes on on this earth, we can enjoy God's gifts to his glory. But even more so, we get to look forward to the future to be with him forever that when this life ends, we'll get to enjoy that abundant life in a far greater and a far amazing way than we ever get to on earth. And that's what we look forward to as we, as, as we live life on this earth, as we enjoy the blessings that that door offers. Church Jesus is our shepherd. He leads us. He knows us. He's also the door that saves and guides us and blesses us. Church, let's pray. Father, we thank you for for who you are. For what you're doing in our lives, what you're doing in our church. We thank you for, for Jesus, our shepherd who knows us by name, who leads us out one by one, who cares for every single one of us. And he leads us to good pasture, to blessing, and he cares for us. Father, we also thank you that that door exists, that by Jesus we can be saved And without Him, there is no hope. We can't climb in another way. We can't save ourselves or find salvation in any other figure, but only in the door that is Jesus. We thank You for His work on the cross, for who He is, what He's accomplished for us. Jesus, stir in our hearts and affection for You. Help us to love You, to worship You. In Jesus' name, amen.